some powerful worship songs that reminded us of how good our God is. It's good to see your faces this morning. We're glad you're joining online. And we have a few people that are tailgating in the South parking lot right now listening by FM radio. So we uh, say hello to you. The body of Christ is uh, all over the place. The church is not the building, it's the people, so we're gathered together in a unique way today, and we praise God for that, and we rejoice in that. As we continue our series going through the book of Galatians, I hope by now, at some point, you're going to begin to say that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and there's great joy in knowing that salvation seems too good to be true sometimes. Doesn't it? It seems too good to be true that somehow if we trust in the living God who sent his son Jesus to the cross, did the work for us, he closed the gap, he can become our righteousness because we can't get to God because we're broken, messed up people, and he was the perfect sacrifice. And if we just offer him our sin in replacement of the gift of eternal life, we'll be saved forever. Like, who would ever think of such a plan? You and I wouldn't because it really doesn't benefit us. The truth is only God could come up with so good, so rich, a gift called salvation through Jesus Christ. And, and Paul is trying his hardest because he loves these people in this book of Galatians to say that this gift is really good. This whole series is reminding us that he has done something incredible for us. In fact, it should have changed the way you got out of bed this morning. And, and honestly, it should change the way you live today. If you needed coffee to get you going this morning instead of Jesus, maybe you need to go back and say, Lord, help me to have Jesus to get me going instead of coffee. It should change everything about us. It should change, change the expression on our faces, how we respond because nothing that comes our way once we know Christ is not handled by him because he's with us. So salvation seems too good to be true. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you. Paul tries to reiterate this and turn to Galatians chapter 4. And we'll read verses 1 through 7 of Galatians chapter 4. And if you're watching online, grab your Bibles there too. And I ask you to stand with me here in our auditoriums here at Grace. And then online, if you're out in the parking lot, I ask you to stand and read this out loud with me, Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You may have a seat. I feel like saying, in Jesus' name, amen, go home. Like, that's really good, like, isn't it? We're heirs of Christ. We, have a, we can call him Abba Father. The Son lives in us. And, and, and he came at a perfect time. He was born under the law. And, and he fulfilled the law because no man could ever fulfill the law. And Christ came. And if we trust in him, we have salvation in him. And I love this 
reality in regards to having a relationship with Jesus. We should live like we're heirs of God. And we don't. Let's be honest. How often we don't live that way. If you knew right now that you were an heir of a billionaire, like if you were son or daughter of a billionaire, and you're now past 18 years or 21, whatever the trustee set into place, that you begin to receive the inheritance, and you know that you're 21, you don't need a guardian, and you no longer need someone to sign, now you have full access to everything that the billionaire owns, how would that change the way you live? It would change the way you live. It would probably change the way you would think and operate and make decisions in the way maybe you jumped out of bed in the morning instead of drug yourself to work. It would change everything about you. And the truth is this, we are no different and even we're even better because we're an heir of the God who's the God of all the billionaires. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Oh, I gotta get up, my body hurts. Listen, you're gonna get a new body one day, don't let that drag you down. Oh, my job, it's hard, it's difficult, this sickness. Listen, one day there's gonna be no sickness, no pain. This is only temporary. You are a child of the living God and you are heirs to Him. And you don't need a guardian anymore because you have full access to the estate of God. I want to camp here for a few moments and just talk about this whole concept of being an heir. Some of us live like Jesus has not changed our lives. Some of us live like we aren't children of God. The joy of knowing Jesus is buried in the ground because of something that happened at work or a relationship or something you're reading right now online. We get so messed up by what we read on our phones that we lose sight of what God's Word says. Stop for a second and wrap your mind around the truths of being a child of the King Jesus. To be an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ means that just like Abraham, you have been made a partaker of the promise of God in Christ, which has qualified you for his adoption into God's family and a rightful and authoritative ownership of everything that belongs to God. Okay, I need, I need an amen over here. I got quite a sec. Come on, someone. Amen? A- amen at home. Let me hear you through the screen. Come on, amen, huh? Let me hear you in the other, other auditoriums. Amen? How about a shout from the parking lot? Amen? We are co-heirs of Christ. Peter tried to, to, to picture this. And t- just hold your finger here in Galatians and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. He tried to describe this to us in 1 Peter when he wrote 1 Peter. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he opens up this letter and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and an inheritance that can never what? What's your Bible say? Never what? Perish. Never. Now what? Spoil or what? So take a look. An inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Here's what I know to be true, and I pray it's not true of you. I know that you can't lose your salvation. It's eternal life. But listen, some of you have lost the joy of your salvation. Ask yourself, have you lost the joy of your salvation? You know you haven't lost your salvation, but you lost the joy of your salvation. Think back in the Old Testament 
when Moses went up to the mountain and he had his time with God and he wrote out on the tablets. And, and, and as he was there up above with God. Do you know what happened to him after he spent time with God? It says he came down from the mountain as his face shined so brightly that his brothers, the Israelites, the people who loved God, couldn't even look at him because his face was so bright that he had to put a veil over his face. Why? Because he had got so close to the God that made him and created him. And the truth is, the closer we get to God, we should have a reflection of God on our faces. And the more time you spend with God, the joy of your salvation should reflect on your face. But does it? Do people look at you in this season of COVID-19 and see the reflection of Jesus in your face? Or do they say worry, anxiety? You see, here's the problem. You know what it is? You spend more time with Google than you do with God. Come on, can I get an amen to that? And when you spend more time with Google instead of with God, your face doesn't shine with the security and confidence of the living God who lives in you and the reflection of joy that comes in that relationship because you've gotten close like Moses did, that this reflection, you reflect off of him. It should show out in your actions and your face and your responses. Why? Because we have everything in Christ, we have power. The resurrection power lives in us. We have refrigerator rights to the throne room in the kitchen of God. You know what I mean by refrigerator rights, don't you? Like when you go home or go to a family or go to a friend where you can walk right into the kitchen, you have such a good relationship. You know, anytime I ever went home, when, when, when mom was home and we could go home, I knew that I could walk right into the kitchen, open up that refrigerator and grab whatever I wanted. I didn't need to ask for permission. Why? Because I was a child of Beverly. And I had refrigerator rights. And we have refrigerator rights to the throne room of God. What do we need to ask? He says, come on in, son. Come on in, daughter. But is that how you saw yourself this morning when you got up? See, the closer you get, you're reminded who you are in Christ because you spent time with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when Moses got so close to God and spent time with him, his face was bright with joy. So I'll ask this question again. Do people look at you in the season of COVID-19 and see the reflection of Jesus in your face? Like, look at it right now. What's it showing? You see, Jeremiah would say this, there's a fire burning inside of me and it's burning so brightly that I can't not not let it out. That's when you spend time with God. COVID-19 hasn't changed our citizenship in heaven, nor has it unseated our God from his throne. And the last time I checked, you and me who know Jesus, our feet dangle with the King of kings and Lord of lords positionally in heaven. And all darkness and all authority and all demons and all principalities are below our feet. We reign with Jesus and nothing will ever touch us in Jesus' name. That's what Paul's saying to this group. He says, you don't need to keep keeping yourself there and trying to earn your way to God. You already have access. You are an heir of Jesus Christ. And so he describes it in verse 3. I love this picture. 
He says, so also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. In other words, he says, get out of kindergarten. The ABCs are great, but listen, move on. Mom and Dove have your pictures from kindergarten. It's no longer you have nap time, story time, and snack time. Dude, you are out of kindergarten. You don't need a guardian anymore. You are all you need to be in Christ. The rules that were set into place that you had to follow because you were a kid, you now have freedom to let the Spirit of God guide you. Do you remember when you, you were young? Like, you remember kindergarten? You remember when your kids were in kindergarten? I remember Isaiah and Josh and Hannah were in kindergarten, and I specifically remember this, but in kindergarten, they always have these lines. Everyone form a line, and then you get a line leader. And with the line, everyone backs up and follows this line because that's the direction you should go. You go everywhere where the leader goes. Like, that's the ABCs of kindergarten. Which way should we go? Just follow the leader. And so the teacher would pal in, just follow them. And so the kids would all march in line. Paul's saying, listen, get out of kindergarten. You've heard this, but it's funny and it's worth repeating. When Isaiah was a kindergartner and the teacher asked for a line leader, the first day was there, Isaiah ran to the front and became the line leader. And the teacher said, that's great, Isaiah. And he walked and he, she told him where to lead the group. And so he led the group. And the group followed and Every place they're supposed to go, from the next room to outside, from recess and back, Isaiah led them. And so the next day, she wanted another line leader. She said, I need a line leader. Isaiah ran right to the front. Picture Isaiah, five years old. Stood up there again. And she said, Isaiah, why do you keep running to the front? Because my daddy told me I'm a leader and I'm supposed to lead. <laughs> Can you picture him saying that? But here, we now have the Spirit of God living in us. We don't need this, 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 these rules and regulations. Sure, that's the moral law we need to abide by. But the Spirit of God says, no, don't go that way. Yeah, go that way. No, st stop. Ask for forgiveness. Get back in line. The Spirit of God gives us freedom when we come to Christ. We don't need the laws and the regulations that the Old Testament people had. We can let that be the train tracks that we run on. But the engine that runs the train is the Spirit of God. Paul's saying, you're going back to kindergarten. And this verse, Galatians 4, 4, is one of the most significant verses in the New Testament. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, a virgin, born under the what? The law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoptions to sonship. Jesus was born under the law so he could live the life we're supposed to live and die the death we were supposed to die. At the appointed time, at the perfect time, Jesus came, he entered while they were living under the law, and he fulfilled the law. He was perfect in every way. No one else can ever be. And because of that, that gave us freedom to walk in Christ. And Paul is saying to this group of people that he is clearly, 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 and fully and fully and dearly, dearly loves them, but they are being led astray. You see, there's a difference between law-based relationships and grace-based relationships. 
And Paul is looking at this group and saying, you've let these people come along and drive you in this relationship by law instead of grace. Law-based relationships operate under control and fear. You ever see them? I will control this person and my control over this person. They live in fear because if they do something wrong, they're afraid that the person who controls them is, is going to say something to them, get mad at them. And so you can see it even in parenting. If you're a law-based parent, your child does something, you control them, and they're afraid to do anything wrong because they're fearful of you. Yet Jesus said we have grace through Christ and grace-based relationships operate not under a correction model, but a connection model. And way too many parents raise their kids under law instead of grace. They, they correct them, beat them up instead of connecting with them. And rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. Every single time. Law-based parenting and relationships are performance-driven. You see, what happens here? Here's how it goes. And this isn't the way it should go. You're a child and you've done something wrong and it's summertime. And you happen to be home that day. But this is your scenario with mom. And your mom says, you wait till your daddy gets home. That's horrible. Dad's worked hard all day. He comes home. He's had a great day. He can hardly wait to see the fam. He walks in the door, and there are the kids. Fear-based relationship. By the way, Mom, you discipline too, okay? That's healthy. And the child is afraid of Dad. So what's the child do? The child doesn't greet Dad at the door. What's the child do? What are you doing? You're hiding from Dad. Because you know if Dad does a performance review on your day, what? You're in for it. And that's what's happening here. Paul's saying, you're letting these other people come into your life and put a performance review on you, and that will determine whether or not it's going to be a good day or a bad day for you. He said, listen to me. Jesus and the relationship with him is grace-based. And even if you fall down seven times, you'll get back up in the strength of the Lord, and he will forgive you, set you back on your feet, and choose not to remember all the sins that you have committed. Walk in freedom. That's the picture that's here. It's like, the, it's like going to SeaWorld. How many of you have been to SeaWorld and you watch the dolphins where they, they twirl around and they jump and sometimes you get to swim with the dolphins? And what do they do? They come back to the water and they like, feed me, I performed. <laughs> that's what law-based is. Like, look at all the good I did. Paul's saying, you're nuts. There's freedom in Christ. That's good preaching. I don't care what you say. You see, in doing this, Jesus bought us out of adoption and purchased us out of an orphanage of sin, where sin was our mother and Satan our father, and he put us into the family of God. Here, listen to me, Grace. That's good news. That's why the gospel is called good news. And after he cleared the sin debt that separates us, God replaced that law with the Holy Spirit that could do for us what the law wanted to do for us. 
And then he says in verse 7, because of that, we can cry out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. We are pulled out of bondage from the slavery of Satan into freedom. And Paul is brokenhearted that these people he dearly loves are now trying to go back to law. He said, get rid of the prison clothes and walk in freedom. You are free to go. It's the prisoner or the the person, the felon that's been locked up for a period of time. And the warden comes and opens up his, his room, slides the door open and says, you have been pardoned. You are free to go. And leave the cell. And the prisoner's saying, God, I like it here. I got three meals a day. He said, no, no, you're free to go. Someone paid the price so that you could be pardoned. And Jesus was that person who paid the price. You see, the need for rigid rules is an indication, Paul says, of immaturity. Why? Because... Kindergartners need line leaders. <laughs> and somehow in the twisted minds, people who follow the law think, oh, I'm mature, I'm set apart. No, you're not. Get out of kindergarten, Paul's saying. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And he says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. He says, you're turning back to these weak and miserable and worthless forces. Legalism. You're turning back and letting the law. You wake up every day and wonder if God accepts you. And you end up wearing yourself out. And you just continue to let the devil remind you of all your faults. When we think incorrectly that God is mad at us, we end up avoiding him. And that's what happens. It's legalism at its finest. I grew up in a house or in a home in a church that by some stretch was very legalistic. And by God's grace, I was saved in that. And I praise God for that. But I remember a time for me, and I look back, I had to strip myself of legalism. Like I had to like almost take a shower like, man, get that off. Like, and Paul's saying, get it off. Like I remember a time sitting with people in my circles, that we would say this, and I would listen because I was young, and and it would be this. If you don't go to church, or your church isn't open on Sunday nights, and if you don't have visitation on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and if you don't go to Wednesday night prayer encounter, if you don't go to Sunday school, and if you don't go to pre-Sunday school, then your church really doesn't believe in Jesus. So we would drive down, I remember... I remember even in the church I was in, they would say, well, that church doesn't have Sunday night service, and you know they don't love Jesus. Seriously, that's what I grew up. Some of you might not understand that, but anyone else raised that way? Like, that, that's me. That, that, that was my childhood. 
I am so glad that I got stripped of that. And Paul is saying, you're letting this legal laws, and by the way, when I did all those things, in my mind, my performance review at the end of the week was, look at Jim, even though I hated half of it, I wanted to watch Eat Wonderful World at Disney on Sunday nights. Not in my house. You're not going to watch Wonderful World at Disney at the Browns house. You're going to church. And so I would sit there on Sunday nights as a 10-year-old counting the ceiling towels. But I was in church. Praise God. Look at that follower of Jesus. And Paul is saying, that's what you're doing. It's legalism. I remember being stripped of some of it. And you can talk to my wife. Praise God, I've been stripped of it. I really found out that my relationship isn't a performance room with God. It's because of the righteousness of Jesus that I'm good. (laughs) Not because of anything I've done. I can remember one of the first times I preached in shorts at Grace Community Church. And it's hard. I understand. I've been down your path. And there was a man that come and visited that day. And he was seated out in in the audience. And he came up. He met me over here. And I was preaching in shorts. And he just couldn't understand he says, your, your message was great. It was a great message, and man, it was biblical. He said, but I have a question. Why do you preach in shorts? And he was sincere. And I looked at him and said, because it's hot outside. <laughs> and he looked at me, he thought, and for the first time, <laughs> serious, for the first time in his life, he's like, oh, okay. Like, you know the laws, and Paul's saying, you're letting all this extra stuff, you don't need this stuff, to be approved by God. You've been approved through Jesus. Like when you walked in, grab your Cokes for a second. You walked in. Like I remember the day, grab your Cokes and, and maybe your, your pie and, and either you got apple or you got cherry or you got, we say in the South, pecan pie. You got some pecan pie. Maybe you got blueberry. Like I remember the day, like you dare not bring food into a church service. <laughs> Do you remember those days? Like, like all, right, all, right. all right, we're not legalistic, so let's just... Let's flip the tabs together. Come on. Hear that freedom? There it is. There it is. Drink up. And eat your pie. And Paul's saying, you don't, like, you don't need laws to make you right with God. I don't drink pop, so mine's still sitting right there. You know what? That was horrible. (laughs) You see, the need for rigid rules is an indication of immaturity. Look at verse 10 in chapter 4 here. Look look what he says. He says, you are observing special days and months and seasons. He's saying this. Listen to me. He's saying, "You're you're celebrating Jewish feast. That was for the Jews. And so there's even a group of people today that say, look, we can't eat at Long John Silver's because there's shellfish there. And if you eat shellfish and, and, and you're a follower of God, then you're breaking the law. Listen, are you kidding me? Jesus came to set us free of that junk. And Paul says, I feel I've wasted my efforts on you. Have you ever felt that way with someone? You gave your heart, your passion, your time in your life, to someone only to see them turn from God. And Paul is a parent. And he's saying, 
I love you so much. And I was there and you followed the grace. And now you're turning. And now you're living in slavery. He says, and you don't even see it. I used to run through New Paris in, in the streets. Now I run at Benton Trails because it's better on my knees. But, but I used to run. And there was this dog that had a chain that was hooked to a dog box. And as I would run by, that dog would come running out. And it would get to the end of his chain. In a really sick way, I used to enjoy that. And every time I'd run by there, I'd think, that legalistic dog. And that's what it is. He said, you're enslaved. You can't go any farther because if you went farther, you break the law. And it's like, well, I can go this far, but I can't go any farther. And I used to run by there. And what would happen if we would just cut that chain? What would that dog do? It'd probably just run to the edge and stop. Because it would think, I can't go any farther. I can't do that because the law doesn't allow me to. And Paul is saying, you're like a dog that's chained to a dog box. And the only path you make is one dirt path. And that dog in the yard had worn a path and it's the, to the extent of its chain. And it spent all its days running to the edge. And Paul is saying, listen, don't let law lead you. Let grace lead you. You see, when you begin to try to speak into someone's life, you have reasoned, you have pleaded, you have prayed, you have confronted, and you have loved and argued. Generally, two things happen. The friendship is strained. And if you're not careful, passions rise on both sides and you walk away angry. But if you say nothing, it gets worse. But if you do say something... It gets worse anyway. (laughs) So you have to make a decision. Do you tell them the truth in love? And Paul is telling them the truth in love. Look at verse 13. He says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ himself. He says, there was a time you treated me like Jesus was. I was Jesus. And you have so quickly deserted from treating me that way and even listening to me. And he wants to know, he, read on, look, look what he says next. He says in 15, where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, You would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? In other words, where is your joy? Many scholars believe that Paul had an eye condition that was really bad, maybe from malaria or another eye condition, that his face was disfigured so bad from the infection in his eye. And when he first went to this Galatian church and told them about grace, they accepted him in, they loved him. And he said, even if it were possible, you loved me so much that many of you would have just gouged out your own eye and stuck it in mine. And now he's saying, where is that love now? Don't you see that you're believing these lies, that the enemy has deceived you and you are walking away? He says, I'm the same person. You see, friends tell the truth to each other, even if the friend receiving it won't like it. I was talking to a a police officer uh, this week. We had to bury one of our own here at Grace on Friday, Christian Sarich. 
precious woman of God who has served in our police department. And our auditorium was loaded with police officers on Friday for her service in the parking lot. And we, we had a 50 to 100 car train of cars that drove to Bremen. It took us about an hour to get there with a special service for her. And as I was talking to one of the police officers who attends Grace, I asked him, you know, he said, yeah, I come to Grace. And so I said, we have many police officers. And by the way, thank you, men and women who attend Grace, and we're glad that you're with us. And he said, you want to know why they come to Grace Community? I said, yeah. He said, because we spend most of our days people lying to us, <laughs> fabricating a story that they didn't do something. And he said, if we're not careful, it can callous our hearts. He says, I hasn't calloused my heart. And he says, so all day we hear stories, this, that, and it's not true. He says, and the reason people come to grace, he said, because they just want to hear the truth and they know you'll tell them the truth. He said, we might not like it, but at least we hear the truth. And Paul is saying, listen, you might not like me, but here's the truth. You're believing a lie that you need to add to your salvation to be saved. It's Jesus plus nothing. Tough love never remains soft on sin. And so Paul wraps this up by saying this. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. In other words, you're going to end up short of God. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them instead of God. It is fine to be zealous, zealous provided the purpose is good and to be and, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. He said, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. You see, too often in our world, we're more concerned about hurting someone than telling them the truth. Truth sets you free, warm and fuzzies leave you in bondage and headed to hell. And so Paul is looking and he says, your identity is in the wrong stuff. Your security is in something that you have established. It's a man-made religion. It's legalism. And you will end up in hell because of it. He is heartbroken. I have a friend that I grew up with, played basketball with, went to high school with, and he had such a fervent relationship with Jesus. I can remember times when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, we would be in his basement and we'd be crying out to God and praying to God. And he felt the call to be a pastor. And when he was 17 years old, he was preaching in churches. And I would go along with him to support and pray for him and sit out there and be his amen guy. And there was a moment in his life where he got called to a church and he was so zealous in his faith that all of a sudden he began to think that keeping the law would be a better pathway. And so he began to go down that pathway. And what happened was he soon found out that he couldn't keep the law, that he couldn't be perfect. And it frustrated him so much that in his mind he wouldn't be accepted. His performance review wasn't good enough that he completely walked away from God. And Paul is saying, watch out, that's what will happen to you. In light of this message, I have three questions for you today. Is there a broken relationship in my life I need to deal with because of my own pride and refusal to admit the other person was right? Has someone come to you and said, get it right? And your pride won't let them acknowledge that maybe it's an area as a parent. 
maybe it's a father or mother, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a, 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 a child parent relationship, maybe it's as a boss, maybe it's as a coach, maybe it's as a, a worker or an employer, or maybe as a supervisor, someone has come and spoken in truth into your life and you won't listen to them? Or secondly, am I willing to hear the truth even when I don't like it? Do you walk away angry and mad because they found a flaw in you and you're not willing to admit because in your mind you need to measure up and perform it? They find a flaw in you, then that means your relationship in your mind isn't good with God instead of understanding it. Listen, in our weaknesses, he is strong. Thirdly, do I need to tell the truth even at the expense of losing the friendship to someone who doesn't want to hear it? Hear me. That's when it gets hard. Got a friend out there? And you're seeing the error in their way, and you realize if I go and talk to them, it might mean I'd lose this friendship, but for the sake and the cause of Christ, they need to know the truth, and I love them too much not to tell them the truth. And that's what Paul is doing here. Let me ask you another question. What lies have you allowed to creep into your theology Where has law or legalism caused a rift in your relationship with Jesus? It all begins with understanding our position in Christ and that we're heirs with Christ. You want to see what happens when you forget who you are an heir to? Listen to this true story. Homer and Langley Collier were sons of a respected New York doctor. Both had earned college degrees. In fact, Homer has studied at Columbia University to become an attorney. When old Dr. Collier died in the early part of the century, his sons inherited the home and estate. The two men, both bachelors, were now financially secure. But the Collier brothers chose a peculiar lifestyle not at all consistent with the material status their inheritance gave them. They lived in almost total seclusion. They boarded up the windows of their house and padlocked the doors. All their utilities, including water, were shut off. No one was ever seen coming in or going out of their house. From the outside, it appeared empty. Though the Collier family had been quite prominent, almost no one in New York society remembered Homer and Langley Collier by the time World War II had ended. On March 21, 1947, police received an anonymous telephone tip that a man had died inside the boarded-up house. Unable to force their way through the front door, they entered the house through a second-story window. Inside, they found Homer Collier's corpse on a bed. He had died clutching February 22, 1920 issue of the Jewish Morning Journal, though he had been totally blind for years. This gruesome scene was set against an equally grotesque backdrop. It seems that the brothers were collectors. They collected everything, especially junk. Their house was crammed full of broken machinery, auto parts, boxing, appliances, folding chairs, musical instruments, rags, assorted odds and ends, and bundles of old newspapers. Virtually all of it was worthless. An enormous mountain of debris blocked the front door. Investigators were forced to continue using the upstairs windows for weeks 
while excavators worked to clear a path to the door. Three weeks later, a workman, as workmen were still hauling heaps of refuge away, someone made a grisly discovery. Langley Collier's body was buried beneath a pile of rubbish some six feet away from where Homer had died. Langley had been crushed to death in a crude booby trap he had built to protect his precious collection from intruders. The garbage eventually collected and removed from the Collier house totaled more than 140 tons. No one ever learned why the brothers were stockpiling their pathetic treasure, except an old friend of the family recalled that the Langley once said he was saving newspapers so Homer could catch up if his reading of his reading if he ever regained his sight. Homer and Langley Collier make a sad but fitting parable of the way many people in the church live. Although the Colliers' inheritance was sufficient for all their needs, they lived their lives in unnecessary, self-imposed deprivation, neglecting abundant resources that were rightfully theirs to enjoy. Homer and Langley instead turned their home into a squalid dump, spurning their father's sumptuous legacy. They binged instead on the scraps of the world. Like Paul said, I plead with you. I beg you that are watching and that will pass and share this video on. I implore you, please, please, please. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You will never be able to do enough to earn your salvation. Never. Ever, 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 it's in the blood of Jesus Christ alone that we are saved. Now listen to me. We are heirs to the King of kings and Lord of lords. May the joy of our salvation reflect in our faces. Oh God, help us today. Help us when we let the things of this world determine whether we have joy. And God, may we go to you instead of Google. And may the joy of our salvation come from knowing that we are heirs of Christ. And we have refrigerator rights with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us to see that today, God. And strip us of all the stuff that keeps us from living to our redemptive potential. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming in to the south parking lot. May God be with you. See you next week.